Turning your Bibles to John chapter 2. It's great to be together to worship God together. It's uh, been a great series. Uh, if you're visiting today, we're very glad you're here. We've um, been focusing this whole year, all of our sermon, our whole sermon series, all 52 weeks have been about Jesus, different aspects of Jesus, different parts of His character, different promises of Jesus. Uh, it'll be an exciting rest of the year as well. And uh, it's great uh, that we're ending our series on the promises of Jesus. Uh, as you know, we didn't cover all the promises of Jesus as He made many. Uh, but we did talk about five different major promises of Jesus, of which uh, today I'll be preaching about the last one, uh, I will be with you always. And uh, today, uh, you know, it's set on the invitation, courage and boldness, but I really believe that translates into spiritual confidence. And uh, I don't know what brings you confidence, uh, but you know, sometimes the people you hang out with make you feel a little stronger, Right? So when you look at Steve Marici and me, uh, you can tell he's a little bit bigger than me. It just depends if we're front view or side view, or if I'm wearing one of my big jackets or shirts. Um, but you know they always say the big man falls first, and the little man can... Don't they say that somewhere? In some book? They look really tough, but then you know one rock to the head and they're down. Uh, isn't that that story in the Bible? David and somebody, I don't remember his other, the other guy's name. Bigger they are, the harder they fall. It's a translation, loose translation. Um, but, uh, you know, Steve's got the size and the strength, and I've got the speed. No, I'm just kidding. No, but if I was uh, in a fight, I would definitely want Steve uh, right there so I could cheer him on. Um, or I could show him how it's done when I do my nijitsu. Um, go up into the position. Um, no, Steve's a great friend. Gives me great confidence. But you know, spiritual confidence is very different than self-confidence. Spiritual confidence is very different than self-confidence. And I'm going to tell you something right now that I know you already know, but it's good to be reminded of. Because it's true. Everything that you put your confidence in will eventually be taken away. Everything. Maybe you put your confidence in the family you grew up in. Eventually it'll be gone. One by one by one. Maybe you put your confidence in your looks. And you know, some of us chuckle, <laughs> never. You know what I'm talking about. You specifically, I'm talking to you. You know when you walk by the, the glass mirror, I mean the bank mirror, the big window, and you're like, Who's done it? Be honest. Okay, we got an honest crew in the teens. Or you walk by your car and you're like, nice car, and who's the guy in the window? You don't know what I'm talking about. At least, come on, false hum- you know, don't give the false humility. Maybe it's you put your confidence in your education. You've got a PhD or something. It's going to be taken away. Maybe you put your confidence in your job. How many men in their 50s have lost their job? I know my dad did in the, during the recession of the 80s. And it was really hard for him for many years after that. Maybe you put your confidence in your health. All of us have seen that our health can be taken away, not even from an accident, just from life like that. Maybe you put your confidence in where you live. You live in a really nice place and you got it really nice. I saw a couple houses... Uh, 
in the last uh, 24 hours that were being taken down, all that was left was the pile of the foundation and a little bit of the sticks of the wooden part of the house. And I thought to myself, boy, how many years it took, or how much work it took to put up that house, and how easy it came down. And I thought, I wonder about the family that grew up in that house and had all those memories, and it's just being wiped away, gone. Whole, someone else is going to come in and build a whole new structure. I don't know what you put your confidence in. Maybe it's in how much is in your 401k. K, wish you had, okay. You know what I'm saying? Like, maybe you put your confidence in your job, that you've got tenure. Well, we've all seen that that is challenging. Whatever it is, the whole point is there's nothing that we can find security in and put our confidence in that will not be taken away. Nothing. Everything we have is temporary except a relationship with God. And self-confidence is where we put our confidence and our security and our strength in those things. And it's not... Spiritual confidence isn't self-righteousness. I'm so good because of all the ways I do this for God and do this for God and do this for God and do this for God. I'm His favorite, actually. You know, that's not spiritual confidence. That's what we're going to talk about today is spiritual confidence. What we're going to do is I'm going to show you a passage here in John 17. Before I do that, I want you to notice my girls and I went with the Marichis up to Forest Home. It's a retreat center we've been to with the singles many times. And uh, we all went zip lining. And of my three girls, one is more scared than the other, and one a little less, and one a little less. But you know that yellow cord right there, hooked twice, harnessed around your body, will allow you to go and jump. And Danielle jumped off this huge zip line and zipped for a while. Look at how calm she looks. Looks like she's modeling for REI or something. Then there's Gina. Gina's on the high ropes, and the high ropes are they call it the sky sky something. You hook up to the thing. See the little blue thing on the top of her, the rope? That's holding her on in the red harness. Now I must admit, the first time I went on that, I didn't go on that level, even though I was harnessed in. I'm not a real fan of heights, so I just went on the second level, and I was feeling pretty good about myself. Until some of the ministers told me they were on the third level and they were blindfolding themselves. And I'm like, gosh, what a wimp I am. So I, and then when Tally went up there on the third level and Gina and everybody else, I thought, alright, I can do this. I can do this. I am strapped in, you know. But there's Gina just messing around. She's hanging. She's moving around because she's strapped in. And then there's Tally. Eight years old. Ain't no thing. She's getting ready to jump up the zip line. She's strapped in in the harness here and then up to the wire. And if you look on the screen, there's it, it's pretty high up and it goes for a while. And she didn't complain. She just strapped on and she just looked at it. Here we go. You know, She didn't say that. That was just the confidence that came. Why? Because she was strapped in. Why did I eventually make it to the top of the sky wire? Because I was strapped in. Both in a harness and connected to something that would hold me if I fell. What are you connected to that will hold you if you fall? Or should I say when you fall? You know, it's amazing the confidence we can have when we're anchored and connected and harnessed to something greater than ourselves. Now here in John 17, this is Jesus' longest recorded prayer. 
And just like in a movie, you know, a lot of times in a movie, they show you uh, the last scene or some later scenes. And then they go back to the beginning. That's what we're going to do today. We're going to do a study out of the Gospel of John about spiritual confidence. And we're going to start in John 2. But before we did that, I thought it would be good to look at John 17. Jesus' prayer as he's getting ready to leave the earth. And he's talking to God about his guys. Guys he had been with for three years. And for those of you that know the Bible, know these guys messed up a lot. But look at what he said. And you can tell a lot about somebody by praying with them and listening to how they pray, what they pray about, how much do they really know God. You can tell a lot. And so we learn a lot about spiritual confidence, about Jesus' guys, who weren't Jesus, from listening to this prayer. He says, I have revealed, you can just look on the screen and then we'll go to John 2. I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me. And they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me. And they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you. And they believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you've given me. For they are yours. What a picture of spiritual confidence. For I gave, verse 8 says, for I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. And could this be said about you today? They know with certainty that I come from you. And they believe. And they live like. And they act like. And they put their values, all the chips in. Because they believe you sent me. That is the kind of spiritual confidence that God wants us to have. Amen? Look at this quote from Macbeth. William Shakespeare said, He said, Screw your courage to the sticking place and will not fail. I looked up the quote to find out what was the context of it. It's a term, it's a musician's instrument term where you screw in the wood screws in a musical instrument until it gets into the tight part of the wood and holds. How about it? What are we screwing our courage into? What's it harnessed into? How much are we putting that screw into the wood to where it will hold and will not fail or fall? Matthew 28, a passage that this Scripture was based upon, Jesus says to His guys as He's getting ready to leave the earth, a passage we're all very familiar with, he says that then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw Him, they worshipped Him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So here's Jesus. He had died. He had been buried. He had resurrected. They had seen His miracles. They had lived with Him. They had seen His heart. They'd seen Him walk on water. They'd seen Him multiply loaves. They saw Him raise Lazarus from the dead. They saw all kinds of things, but still, some doubted. And that doubt is always right there. It doesn't come from God. It doesn't come just from our emotions. The devil, Satan's always right there going, really? Are you really praying to anybody? Do you ever think maybe this whole thing is just you like psyching yourself up and it's not really that real anyway? And 
He'd stall acting. And Satan's always right there. Well, that really wasn't an answered prayer. That was just probably a coincidence. That really wasn't a miracle. That person just changed. A lot of people change their lives. Satan is always right there getting us to doubt. Jesus is saying, hey, I came from God. All authority has been given to me. Because you're with me, go. And it's in our nature, church, to stay. To sit. He didn't say, therefore, all authority has me. Therefore, go to church. Now, you should go to church because it makes you stronger. That's not what he said. Just go to church. He didn't just say, go this. He said, it's us who we're going to be, how we're going to be, our stand in the world, our spiritual confidence that we carry. And I believe if you're here today, you want spiritual confidence. I believe if you've been a disciple for any period of time, you know, you've tasted spiritual confidence, and you know it tastes like nothing else. And I believe there's a part of us that we want to be a lion. Right? Just not this lion. And the problem is, this is how we can feel. You know, I was on my anniversary trip uh, about ten days ago, and I was in the grocery store, and I saw one of my funniest actors, I thought, Owen Wilson was there. And I looked at the mullet and the shag, and I'm like, is that him? And I walked up to the side and checked the nose, and that's him. And then Danielle, I told her about it, she said, well, Dad, did you share with him? I'm like, no, uh, I was on vacation, and... I didn't know where the church was, and I didn't want to bother him. You know, he's a movie star, and people are always coming up to him, asking for his picture. Sorry, Ruthie, I blew it. But, you know, I just didn't feel comfortable, and so I didn't say anything. And, I, you know, I had several justifications in the court of law. I'd come through. You know, I had like four or five reasons on why. But there was a part of me that felt like that guy. It's kind of ugly. And looked like that guy. You know, just like, oh, well, what do you say? Hi, hey, uh, all right. And I think there's a part of this in every one of us where we're in a lion's clothing. We're Christians. We're covered in Christ, the lion of the tribe of Judah. But we can feel and look like that guy cross-eyed and kind of just... "Ah." That's not how God wants us to be. He wants us to be spiritually confident. And I want you to just take away one thought today as we get into our study of John. In John chapter... I mean... um, as we get in our study of John in John chapter 2. Jesus knows you. The question is, will you know Him? He knows us. He knows everything about us. He knows what makes us happy. He knows what makes us tick. He knows us. He knows our dark side. He knows when we start to boil. He knows where Satan's going to trip us. He knows us. And either we're comfortable with that, or we don't care, or we want Him to know us. The question is, will you know Him? And if you feel like, well, I already know Him. You know, marriage starts to fail when the husband or wife says, yeah, I know my husband. The wife says, or the husband says, yeah, I know my wife. I know everything about her. Really? Everything? You've heard every story of everything ever she's ever done in her life, every conversation, every... You know, I mean... The, the, the excitement of love is you keep discovering new things. Now, it doesn't come easy. It's not like every day you get a big nugget of new things. But as you work the dance, do you know what I'm saying? You learn new things about each other. You go even deeper. And that's how God wants us to be with Him. 
I want to talk about here, as we talk about spiritual confidence, how do you build this spiritual confidence? How do you build this courage and boldness? John chapter 2, verse 24. Please turn there uh, with me uh, if you haven't already. Actually, we'll start in verse 23. You ready? You there? It says, Now while Jesus was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many people saw the miraculous signs He was doing and believed in His name. But Jesus would not entrust Himself to them, for He knew all men. He did not need a man's testimony about man, for He knew what was in a man. You know, if you want to have spiritual confidence, you've got to be comfortable and cognizant, aware that Jesus knows you. Not a little bit, perfectly. He knows everything about you. He knows about that sin that you did that you go, I hope nobody ever knows. In fact, don't even talk about it. You're making me uncomfortable. And I'm not. I'm just bringing it up. I don't even know what it is. But He does. He knows whether we're really seeking Him or we're just on the the uh, hamster wheel. Just talking to God, praying, reading my Bible, not really into it, just doing what I'm... He knows. He knows what makes us really, really happy and peaceful and content. He knows when we're going sideways. He knows our sinful nature. In Mark chapter 7, verse 21, you can just write the verse down. The apostles were talking about food, ceremonial food, how the Old Testament had said there were certain foods that you're not supposed to eat and they make you unclean. And Jesus, as He brings in the New Covenant, says, no, no, it's deeper than that. He says, it's not food that makes you unclean. It's what's inside your heart that comes out that makes you unclean. And in Mark 7.21, He lists out 11, that's 10, that's 10, 11 different things that come out of our hearts. It's not an exhaustive list. But it's comprehensive. Even as I was writing them down, I'm like, geez, oof, wow, that's rough. For me. Jesus says it's not what goes into a man, it's what comes out of a man that makes him un- unclean. He says, for from within men's hearts, and women too, comes, number one, evil thoughts. Anybody have any evil thoughts today or yesterday or this week? Don't raise your hand. Talk to God about it. Or talk to someone else. Sexual immorality comes up out of our hearts. Theft. Number four, murder. Five, greed. Six, malice. Seven, deceit. Eight, lewdness. Nine, envy. Ten, anger. And for the kids that say, I don't do really any of those. Eleven, folly. Boy, that's challenging to me. So I don't murder, I'm pretty good. Well, if you focus on the one out of the eleven, you'd go back to the number... What was it? Number seven, deceit. Self-deception. This isn't the only list. The point is, He knows us, and even though He knows us, 
He loves us. Even though he knows us, he wants a relationship with us. Even though he knows us and knows what's within us, outside of that list that's not comprehensive and exhaustive, he sees a whole other list of what we can do or have done or will do when we follow him. And that's the part he focuses on. That's the part that he's drawn to. Now, does he ignore those other things? No, he wants us to deal with them and he doesn't play. But if we want to build spiritual confidence, we've got to get comfortable and welcoming and confident with that fact that Jesus knows what's in a man. He didn't need those guys to tell other people about him. He knew the crowds were fickle. The same people that were shouting Hosanna and waving the palm branches as he was coming into Jerusalem on the donkey were some of the same people that hours later, crucify! He knew we're fickle. He knew we can change in the wrong environment rather quickly. He knows that we have a need for approval. That's a a sinful need for approval. He knows the crowds are double-minded. We can be double-minded. He knows all those things. He doesn't need us alone to tell people about who He is. He chooses to use us. Which is pretty amazing. But we've got to get comfortable and confident with the fact that Jesus knows us. The only way we would not be confident in that way and we'd avoid it, I don't want to know, la, 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 is because we don't really want to deal with our hearts. We don't really want to obey God. Jesus knew what we needed to do to save ourselves. Jesus knew what we needed to do to save others. And when we cling to Him, and we feel a need for Him, an acute need, in fact, one of the great warning signs that we're not doing well spiritually is I don't really feel like I need God. Sometimes I can find myself frustrated with people, non-Christians, that I reach out to and they literally look at me like, I don't need a root canal. I don't need surgery. Like, just that kind of a same look, like, oh, no. <laughs> all set. <laughs> Not religious. Oh, thanks. And I can find myself sometimes getting mad. Like, jeez, you need God, buddy. Which is self-righteous, wrong. Do you understand what I'm saying? Jesus knows what's in us. You know, I think about my own sin. I was... <laughs> We had a, a, a midweek series. Uh, Douglas Jacoby came and spoke on Wednesday about who is Jesus, the historical, uh, kind of a historical examination of who Jesus was. And I'm talking to this Jewish woman afterwards, and I'm trying to share with her. And she says, you know, I said, she goes, I have like all religions, I've kind of explored. I'm thinking about trying Kabbalah and da-da-da, because i got some friends that really like Kabbalah. And I'm like, well, have you ever tried Jesus? She says, oh, no. I don't think he'd fit with... Me. I don't think it would fit my way of thinking. And I said, well, have you ever thought maybe your way of thinking is off? And that's why it's not fitting? I said, oh, no. And plus, people, I just, you know, people are bad. And I'm just tired of people. And she goes, people cut you off all the time. In fact, do an experiment, she said. You try to turn in a lane and just count the cars that won't let you in. And I'm listening and I thought, you remember the lady you cut off yesterday? I was listening to her. I have a way of kind of dual listening sometimes. Sometimes it's short circuits. Sometimes it works. But I was listening to her and I was just getting like more convicted. Like kind of starting to feel hot. Like, 
you remember yesterday you kind of felt bad about it, but didn't feel that bad because you were in a rush and other people were being rude to you and she to get over it. You know, I'm just kind of, and I'm like having this conversation with myself while she's talking about people cutting people off and, pe- and I'm like, wow, that's me. I, I you know, I did that. Um, but I'm, I'm convicted how easily I can get impatient. I was praying about it this morning and how that, the root of impatience is selfishness and pride. Um, how easily I can get defensive. What is in you that makes you feel I need Jesus? Let's look at John chapter 8. Jesus knew where he came from and where he was going. Jesus knew where he came from and where he was going. You know, people that are typically immigrants are a lot more grateful to live in the U.S., and for the job they have, and the services they get, and the education opportunity that they get. Anyone's parents immigrants can, that can attest to that? My, my mom was an immigrant. My grandparents on my dad's side were immigrants. I mean, there's a work ethic and a mentality of, hey, I know what I came from. You know, Jesus knew where he came from, and it gave him a level of spiritual confidence and honor to God and gratitude that's pretty amazing. In John 8, verse 14, they were... Challenging Jesus because he had just helped the woman caught in the act of adultery. Do you remember that? And they kind of, they were challenging him like, what kind of, how do you do that? I mean, who are you? Who, what, what? Come on, how could you? And in the Jewish law, you needed a, uh, you needed more than two witnesses to testify to something. And look what Jesus says right here. He says, Jesus answered, if I testify, even if I testify on my own behalf, my testimony is valid for I know where, I'm, where I came from and where I'm going. But you have no idea where I come from or where I'm going. You judge by human standards. I pass judgment on no one. But if I do judge, my decisions are right because I am not alone. I stand with the Father who sent me. In your own law, it's written that the testimony of two men is valid. I am the one who testifies for myself. This is pretty powerful. My other witness is the Father who sent me. Then they asked him, well, where's your father? You don't know me or my father, Jesus replied. If you knew me, you would know my father also. He spoke these words while teaching in the temple area near the place where the offerings were put. Yet no one seized them because his time had not yet come. Once more, Jesus said to them, I'm going away. You will look for me and you will die in your sin. And where I go, you cannot come. This made the Jews ask, will he kill himself? This is why he says, where I go, you cannot come. But he continued. It's very powerful. Look what he says. You are from below. I am from above. You are of this world. Look what Jesus says. I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins if you do not believe that I am the one I claim to be. You will indeed die in your sins. Three times he says the same thing. Who are you? They asked. Just what I've been claiming all along. Jesus replied, I have much to say in judgment of you, but he who sent me is reliable. Look at this last statement. What I have heard from him, I tell the world. You know, the the title today, I will be with you always. Look at the level of confidence that Jesus had from God. 
Look at the level of spiritual confidence that's available to us when we're connected to Him. So I don't feel that way. Well, maybe you're not focused on it. Maybe you haven't been in the Word that much. Maybe you've been reading and praying, but you haven't been practicing so the lights aren't coming on. You haven't been put in situations where your faith is tested. So God can show you, I work. This is real. Jesus was so confident and purposeful. He knew where He came from. He had been in heaven and He knew where He was going. I want that kind of confidence. I want that kind of courage. Look at what He says. If you knew Me, you would know My Father as well. And that gives us so much hope because we can't physically see God, but we can physically see the evidences of God in the Scriptures and in Jesus and in creation. And though we can't prove God, we can see so many proofs of God in Jesus. And the more we bring it back to Him, the more we get enthralled with Him, the more we discover new things about Him or get to know Him for the first time, then we'll have that kind of confidence where we say, I know where I came from. I know where I'm going. I know God made me. I know He made me with a purpose. I know He's with me. I know when I don't feel like He's with me, He's still with me. I know when I feel like he didn't, he, the prayer I had wasn't that blow away. God still heard it. I know God sees my heart. Not just my actions, but He sees both. So I'm going to do the right thing and try to have the right heart. I love what Jesus says. You are of this world. I am not of this world. The one who sent me, the last verse, is reliable. And what I have heard from Him, I tell the world. You know, I was reading a passage the other day. I don't know, maybe months ago. But I've never, heard, never thought about this way. What Jesus says, what, you, what, what I whisper to you in the darkness, shout from the rooftops. Do you know the passage? What you've heard in secret, you know, shout aloud, you know. And I thought, wow. It's like Jesus is saying is what I spoke to you about at 5.30 this morning when you were sitting with your cup of coffee in the Bible and I was whispering some things to you and speaking to you. Shout it! Tell people! I was revealing myself. What I convicted you about, about cutting people off by this woman that's telling you why she doesn't like Christians and people and this and that. They tell people, yeah, you, you, know, you blew it. There's just a sense of that God has this spiritual connection with us. And if we feel that, that connection, He says, tell it to the world. You know, sometimes we don't tell it to the world because we're more of the world than not of the world. There's more of the world in us than we think. You can't go very far without seeing women on billboards, regular, daytime, normal television, not even bad stuff. I mean, just everywhere. Homosexuality is the new normal. If you don't believe it's right and normal, something's wrong with you. You are old fat. You, you probably still believe the world's flat too, right? I mean, literally, that's kind of how you're made to feel. And you're probably a bigot. I don't know you yet, and I don't want to judge you, but you seem really judgmental. Like, there's just this kind of, it's, it just bombards you all the time because you think that living together and not being married is wrong. Or having sex outside of marriage is displeasing to God. And He doesn't play. You won't go to heaven. Something's wrong with you, is what the world tells you. 
Yet the Bible says when you're listening to God, what you hear from Him, you should tell the world. You know, Jesus had this confidence where He knew where He was coming from and where He's going. As Christians, we should be confident knowing I was created by God, I was created for God, and I'm only satisfied when I'm pleasing God. And if I'm off track, I've got to get back on track because that's where I came from. That's the DNA. I was created in His image for His image. That's when I'm satisfied. You know, I'm so thankful uh, to partner with Hakan. Hakan's a young Christian, just a few years. But I'm so inspired by his walk with God. Every few months, he goes up to Lake Arrowhead or Big Bear, and he wouldn't want me to tell this, but sorry, Hakan. Just on his own, gets a cheap motel and just goes and spends hours and hours and hours praying with God. Goes up to the mountains, praying, 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 then goes down to his little hotel and then heads back the next day. I didn't tell him to do that. I haven't modeled that for him, unfortunately. But I was convicted by his heart. And I think part of it is, he doesn't have a Christian upbringing. He's got a secular Muslim upbringing. So Christianity to him, it's like he's trying to catch up. I know where I came from! And I know where I'm going! This is sweet! Now, Hakan, don't let it wear off. Keep going. But that's just inspiring to me. And so when he shares his faith, there's a sincerity that comes across and a love for God that's so inspiring. Because you sense from him, hey, what I've heard from God is reliable. What I've heard, I tell the world. That kind of spiritual confidence. You know, Jesus knew that heaven and hell were real and eternal. And a lot of the Bible is a foreshadowing of the future, the spiritual, what we can't see. In John 11, verse 40, you see Jesus raising a guy from the dead before he rose from the dead. And in John 11:40, Jesus had a very good friend, Lazarus, who got really sick. His two sisters sent to get help. Jesus heard it that they were, he was dying, and he says, I'm going to let him die to make a lesson. You go, that doesn't make sense. I'll take it up with God when you get to visit with him, and I'm sure he'll explain it, and you go, oh, okay, that's cool. But Jesus wanted to make a lesson. In fact, he says, he tells the guys, I'm glad I wasn't there for your sake, that he died. And then Thomas, kind of more the negative realist, goes, well, let's go die with him. And another brother says, maybe if he sleeps, he'll get better. Yeah, just, woo! But Jesus comes to the scene, they start running to him, Jesus, if you'd have been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And in verse 40, then Jesus said, as he goes to the tombstone, I mean to the, to the stone, that he says, did I not tell you to Lazarus' sister that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Now, the same woman that was begging him to be there when Jesus went to go do the miracle, said, Oh, Lord, Lord, he's been in there four days. It smells really bad. He's not dead. He's dead, dead, dead. You know, he's, he's gone. And then Jesus says this statement. Didn't I tell you, if you believed, you'd see the glory of God? What does that mean to you? If Jesus says to you, didn't I tell you, in this situation, if you believed. The Bible's got a lot of ifs and mays. 
If, or go do a word search on may, M-A-Y, because you might, or might. All these conditions of opportunity that if you do, he says you will. And it's so cool, he goes, so they took away the stone. Then Jesus looks up and says, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I know that you always hear me. But I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out! The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen, and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, Take off the grave clothes and let him go. You know, this is a very powerful story about the reality of life and death and eternity. You know, Lazarus ended up dying anyway. You realize that? Okay. So Jesus rose him, he died, and then he rose again. And it's amazing how much we try to hold on to life. Even on the drive here, there's a big sign. Some of you have seen it down the beach. Take 10 years off your life. Now, if you're 16, you wouldn't want to do that. But for some of us over the age of 35, you go, that'd be kind of nice. You know, right in the anti-aging institute. And everyone's seen the picture of the, the doctor that's 60 years old and he's like yoked up. You guys know what I was talking about? Serogenics. He, you too can. There's something in us that we just want to hold on to life. But you know, we can only hold on so tight. And I love this passage in verse 42 where Jesus is praying to God and he says, God, thank you for hearing me. I knew there's a confidence. You always hear me. Hebrews 7.25, you can just write the verse down. The Bible says that Jesus is able to save us completely because he always lives to intercede for us. That Jesus is able to save us completely, Hebrews 7.25, because he always lives to intercede for us. So when we pray, we say in what? Jesus' Now, even if we don't say in Jesus' name, it doesn't mean we're not praying through Him. But we become Christians, we're now doing our whole life through Him. And Jesus knew that heaven and hell was real. Jesus was foreshadowing that, hey, yeah, I'm going to rise this guy from the dead, but there's going to be a bigger resurrection. It's in the story if you read the whole story. I don't know how much you believe in heaven and hell. Most of the world doesn't believe in hell. Surprise, surprise. Most cultures of of all time and all ages believe in a higher power of some sort, some spiritual being or beings, and they believe in an afterlife. Just go study different cultures and you'll see why. Because God put it in us. Ecclesiastes 3 says, He set eternity in our hearts. But do we have the confidence that in a little while I'm going to see my Maker? And I can't wait. You know, I'm doing a study right now in heaven. I thought, boy, I think so little about heaven. How much more motivated I could be if I thought more about heaven, taught more about heaven, set my mind on heaven every day, just a little bit. You say, well, I don't know a lot about it, so how do I get excited? Exactly. I thought, we don't teach enough about it, we haven't preached enough about it, we haven't emphasized it enough, and we don't focus on it enough as a motivator and as a reality, not just a figment, a hope. You know, I appreciate Betty. I told Betty the other day, Betty, you've grown so much in the last three years we've been working together with the singles. Betty loves people deeply. Both people that are Christians and people that aren't. Anybody I've ever met that's not a Christian, I introduced her to Betty, 
And within like a week, they think Betty is like, wow, thank you so much. What a, she's amazing. Because there's such a deep love. But I know that love comes from her confidence about eternity. I've seen her cry for people. Get emotional about people getting restored. Get emotional about people that have left. Getting emotional about people that started to study and then stopped. Like, really caring about the eternity. You know, when we realize heaven and hell are real, it gives us such a confidence. I'm so proud of the church going out door knocking, giving out 20,000 invitations April Fool's Day, being a fool for Christ. I hope that bolstered your courage. I don't know if you knew this, but that day was for you, not for the community. Seriously. Say, was? You tricked me? I did. But I thought it was a, a righteous trick. It was for you and for me. Just to kind of go, hey, I can do it. Hey, I'm doing it. I, can't, I couldn't believe I did it. I didn't want to do it. But I just, I just went, you know, I did it. And it was to bolster our confidence that wow, people need God. Just get out there. Go for it. I hope it's giving you more courage. We're going to do it again in September as a whole region. The second time and the last time this year as a whole region. You know, missions is coming up in a few weeks. It's a chance for us to say, how much do I believe in eternal cause? It doesn't benefit us. You know, in John 13, we're just about done here. Jesus knew why he was here and what he was called to do. In John 13, Jesus is getting ready to die. And you know how you feel right before something intense is going to happen? How scary it is? How you can't think of anyone else? you got that pasty, nervous... Just this feeling of I'm all anxious and seized and you're listening to someone's conversation but you realize in 12 hours I've got to stand before the judge. In 12 hours I've got to go into the surgery. You know, Jesus was getting ready to go to the cross and it says it was just before the Passover feast Jesus knew, he had come, Jesus knew that his, the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world he now showed them the full extent of his love. Evening meal was being served and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around them. Look at his confidence. Here he is, hours before the cross. He knew... This is why I was brought here and it's time to go. Even the fact that he could sit there and wash Judas' feet, that's security. You know, so many of us are plagued with insecurity. In fact, all of us are. It just depends on the day and the time and the issue. Right? See, that's just, insecurity is just for young people. Really? No, it's for all people. It just makes you realize how much you need God. But think about the security he had in God. That here's Jesus getting on his knees like a servant, picking up Judas' feet with love, no malice, washing his feet, rubbing the sponge or whatever through his toes, wiping off all the dust, looking up at him with love. I mean, that is just intense. I mean, he had a lot more toes to go, but that guy's toes? How about some righteous anger? How about some... Sense, you know, just, I don't know how he transcended with that kind of confidence, that kind of big heartedness, that kind of love. I think it's because he knew why he was here and that his time had come and what he was called to do and he pushed through. You know, I'm so thankful that Jesus had that kind of confidence. 
I'm so proud of Davida and Tess. I went to uh, Honduras last summer to serve the poor with Davida and Tess. And both of them um, have grown so much. I, I told both of them this week, even just from a few years ago, just watching them grow. Both of them are leading now and serving more and giving more. And both are leaders. They just needed a little, what, cur- encouragement, a little push. But I'm, you know, I remember sitting with Davida on the bus. So, Davida, tell me, are you a leader? Well, no, not really. I mean, so you're a principal. Yeah, but so that's not a leader. No, well, yeah, it is. But I mean, well, have you done anything else? Yeah, I was a track athlete in college and really good at it. And so that's not a leader either. No, not really. Well, yeah, but not in it. You know, so we're just having it's raining hard outside the bus, and Davida could tell I was trying to talk her into a corner. She could tell, but but she works in the inner city and she is shrewd. And she's just like ha ha ha, and trying to. So we're just like. Come on, Davida, what do you got? What do you got? Uh, uh. But I just, I told her at the leaders meeting last week, Davida, you've grown so much from the ride in the rain in the bus. So cool. Just the confidence of, hey, this is why I'm here. This is what I've got to do. I want to serve God. Let's just close with this passage here in John 14. Jesus, he personally knew the one who sent him. That he was real. And that he'd never abandon him. Brian Use this passage last week. Jesus says, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house there are many rooms. If we're not so, I would have told you. I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place, uh, I will come back and take you to be with me that you may also be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. Jesus says, You've got the confidence. You've got the clarity. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really knew me, you'd know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, you should love these guys. Lord, show us the Father. That'll be enough for us. Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been among you such a long time. Couldn't you say that to us today that have been Christians for a while? Anyone who's seen me has seen the Father. Let me repeat that. Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you are not just my own. Rather, it's the Father living in me who is doing His work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the miracles themselves. I tell you the truth. Anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. He will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father and I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. Look at verse 14. You may, remember I said may or might do a Bible study on it? doesn't mean you will because you may not. But you may ask anything in my name and I will do it. You say, well, I've asked God a lot of things and He hasn't done it. Well, maybe He hasn't done it yet. Maybe he's done it and you haven't recognized it. He's done it in a different way. Maybe he's doing it later. Or maybe it wasn't best for you. So he said no. But I love that. Jesus, you can ask anything in my name. I'm with you always. That's awesome. Jesus had such an incredible relationship with God. He knew who sent him. He knew God was real. He knew God wouldn't abandon him. He could speak with that kind of intimacy. We have that afforded to us today. Let's take these things to heart. Let's build our spiritual confidence. 
Let us soak in that Jesus knows us. And let's be people that really want to know Him. Thank you.